Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. I sat down on a Thursday. I had, I had carved out time to study Thursday. And I knew, and I had been gathering a few other thoughts, but I thought I was sitting down to prepare for something else, but I had noticed throughout the past two weeks that God kept speaking to me about something else, and I thought, "Oh, it's a great thought, but you know, I don't know if I don't know if you want me, I don't know if you want me to say that, Lord." And I just thought, you just kept kind of putting it on the shelf, and next you know, it'd be right back in front of me again, put it back on the shelf, be right back in front of me, and so I just thought, "Hmm, well, so Thursday, I I finally was like, okay, I kept remembering this one scripture that kept surfacing in all these thoughts. I went to this scripture and boom I was like okay fine I will preach about that but I'll be honest I'm gonna I know we're all gonna laugh here for a moment I don't I don't mean but who wants to preach about hell now you understand why I was feeling that way and I was just like oh man like you understand that it's a part of this boy it's in the bible we're gonna read some scriptures it's in the Bible, but I, I even text Pastor Tom, and I said, hey, I'm thinking that I might be preaching about hell, question mark, question mark, question mark, <laughs> thinking, please, stretch your pastoral authority. No, you're not. <laughs> I'll be speaking about that. I don't know if he's listening now or if he's going to listen later. I hope he's giggling. Either way, whenever he listens to it. So, so I... I I really have waded into this, and, and I mean it. It is, it is really, as I read some of these scriptures, it, it is shaken. I mean, it just shakes me to the bone, and I just think, wow, it's, hell is real. Hell is real. And I, and I tried to process, as I've been, I realize I'm the one that's been looking through this as I've tried to, to get my head around it. I get it. I get why we're not up here every Sunday reminding everyone how bad hell is. We're trying to encourage people. We're trying to tell people about the story of the cross. We're trying to encourage people to come to the cross. We're giving them hope. We're planting a seed of faith. Everything I just said doesn't really parallel with hell. And so you're, you know, so I get all of that, but I think every once in a while it's appropriate for us to be reminded, for us to be reminded of why he went to that cross. He went to that cross so we don't have to go to hell. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I'm going to do my best today. I'm going to do my best today to, to express these thoughts and guide us through a few things of Scripture. And, and every, every part that I use today, I tell you that, that God put in front of me at different times in these past two weeks. So if you stand with me, we'd like to read the first Scripture here, Luke 16 verses 27 and 28, Luke 16, 27 and 28. And I'm sure I've, I've even heard this verse before, but there was something about it that I even thought, man, I, I really, I can't remember when I've heard this verse. And I, I can't remember even if I've ever processed it this way. And I've mentioned it to other people and some said, oh yeah, I've, I've heard it with this line or yes, I've heard it um, you know, but it, it's been a long time. So Luke 16, 27, 28 says, He answered, Then I beg you, Father, this man is talking to Abraham in the heavens. 
says, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them. Say those four words with me. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Let him warn them. From the pits of hell, he looked to the heavens and said, let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you for the opportunity to gather together in this house, God. I ask you to bless and anoint your servant, God, today as we preach the word, God. Cut our hearts, God. Cut us deep, Lord, and let us leave here changed today. Let us apply this to life. Let us move forward, God, with a a drive and a passion, God, to save the lost, to make sure our lives are in check, God, Lord. We thank you for the cross, God, and the miraculous work that you did and died for our sins, Lord, that we wouldn't have to go to hell. Lord, help us to hear your word today, God. We give you all the praise and all the glory. And everybody said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Anyone here ever been a lookout for a surprise party? Been a lookout or been the person that had to run and tell, all right, they just pulled in the driveway or... You know, and then, you know, everybody's kind of moving around. But maybe we've all played that part or we've watched a movie or something where somebody had to run and tell the information. So it reminded me of the story of Paul Revere. Anybody remember that story? It's a good old story. We've got a, a picture here today on our travels across this nation. Miss Benz and I, we stood at Paul Revere's house. Where's she at? Is she in there? Is she up there? Where's she at? How are you doing? <laughs> so we stood there at the house. We stood there at the house, and uh, with a handful of students, we walked through. We took upon some more details of this story, and so um, so we did. We were there, and it honestly, I didn't even. I, I tried to look back through the pictures. Nothing else really told me anything else of this. So I had to look back up a few more details, and hopefully we all remember a a bit and a piece of it. It happens on a very, uh, it happens on a day before a very big event in our nation's history too. So, but it says here in the story of Paul Revere in 1774, in the spring of 1775, Paul Revere was employed by the Boston Committee of Correspondence and the Massachusetts Committee of Safety as an express writer to carry news messages and copies of important documents as far away as New York and Philadelphia. Today we send a text. On the evening of April 18, 1775, Paul Revere was summoned by Dr. Joseph Warren of Boston and given the task of riding to Lexington, Massachusetts, with the news that regular troops were about to march into the countryside northwest of Boston. According to Warren, these troops planned to arrest Samuel Adams and John Hancock, who were staying at the house in Lexington and probably continue on to the town of Concord to capture or destroy military stores, gunpowder, ammunition, and several cannons that had been stockpiled there. Revere contacted an unidentified friend, Robert Newman, of Christ Church in Boston's North End, and instructed him to show two lanterns, in the tower of Christ Church, now called Old North Church, 
As a signal, in case Revere was unable to leave town, the two lanterns meant that the British troops planned to row by sea across the Charles River to Cambridge rather than march by land out Boston Neck. Are there any Henry Longfellow fans in the house? A few, yeah. Some of you are remembering maybe that poem of one, one if by land, two if by sea. Yeah. Revere borrowed a horse from John Larkin, a Charlestown, a Charlestown merchant and a patriot sympathizer. About 11 o'clock, Revere set off. After narrowly avoiding capture just outside of Charleston, Revere changed his planned route and rode through Medford, where he alarmed Isaac Hall, the captain of the local militia. He then alarmed almost all the houses from Medford through Minotomy, today's Arlington, and arrived in Lexington sometime after midnight. In Lexington, as he approached the house where Adams and Hancock were staying, the regulars are coming out. At this point, Revere still had difficulty gaining entry until, according to tradition, John Hancock, who was still awake, heard his voice and said, Come on in, Revere. We're not afraid of you. And he was allowed to enter the house and deliver his message. That night, the riders continued to warn others and make sure the storehouses and supplies were safe And that next day, the American Revolutionary War began. The shot heard around the world, the battle on Lexington Green. Paul Revere was given a message to carry. It was not just information for him. It was information that could save hundreds of lives. It was information that played a part in history of many families and a nation. It was a timely message. There was still time for action as he went going house to house. I've come to preach to someone today who's willing to carry a message that will save somebody today. I've got a message that I want to remind us of. I got a message here today I want to talk about that could save somebody's life. So I preach to our Red Life members, Brother Anthony. Where is that young man or that young woman that wants to tell somebody about Jesus? Come on, Red Life. Where's that Sunday school teacher who just finished today that talked about this great gospel? Brother Joe, where is that person in the jail that needs to hear the word of God? Can I hear an amen, Brother Bruce? It's not too late for someone today. It's not too late for someone to make their way to the cross. Amen. But guess what? God just needs someone to carry the message. God needs somebody to carry the message. God needs somebody to warn somebody today. Do you believe in this message of Jesus Christ? Well, sadly enough, there's people that don't. There's people that do and that they, their life doesn't show it. But I hate it for them because there's going to come a day. There's going to come a day when the trumpet's going to sound. It's going to be too late. There's going to be a time, a a line will be drawn, and we'll all stand at the judgment seat of Christ. We have to carry this message today. Somebody's got to warn somebody today. You've got to get it in your heart that this is not a game. You've got to get it in your heart that there's somebody that hasn't heard this message and it's your life it's your story it's your voice that's going to be able to share it with them why because God's chosen you to share it with them God knows that they're going to hear your voice God knows that your life and the way you're living is speaking to them and only you 
Everybody say, only me. Only, only you will be heard by that person. Amen. We look at the rest of this story in Luke 16, 19 through 31. This is the story that Jesus tells of the rich man and Lazarus. This is not the Lazarus that, that Jesus raised from the dead. This is the other Lazarus. This is the Lazarus we don't speak about that much. The word or the name Lazarus means whom God helps. We know that makes sense for the other story, and it's going to make sense again for this story. But it's whom God helps. Here's the other Lazarus, and starting in verse 19, it says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his swords. Remember, beggars in the Bible days either got there two different ways. That was as far as they could travel, or someone dropped them off there. They dropped them off in a place that they thought they could get help. Why not drop off a beggar in front of a rich person's home, thinking they would have aid, they would have some type of assistance to give to them? Verse 22, it says, the time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Sorry, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, "Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony." In this fire. Verse 25, but Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over. From there to us. Verse 27, that was what we already read. He answered, Then I beg you, I beg you, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them. Let him warn them, so they will not also come to this place of torment, torment a severe physical or mental suffering. That's what the word torment means. We talk a lot about physically suffering. I hope to enlighten us a little bit today. There will be a mental suffering. You're going to know that you're in hell. You're going to know you're in hell and there's no way out. He sent a messenger to his, he wanted to send a messenger to his brothers. He wanted to tell him how bad this place was. If, if you grew up in this faith, if you grew up in this faith, and maybe even in, in, a, in a different religion, my age, and definitely if you're older than me, you heard stories or you heard preaching on fire, hell, and brimstone. You heard it. Sister Reed and I were talking this morning, even in her English class, they still review sinners in the hands of an angry God. But if you grew up in this, you heard this. For me, it was always at camp is the ones I remember the most. 
Those preachers have got four nights to try to save as many kids as they can. You better believe they're going to talk about hell. But I remember even in high school, Lee and I went with a group of our friends. Anybody remember? It was a big wave for a certain amount of time called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. That wave had caught on because, and people were getting saved. People were coming to the cross. People were um, realizing that there is a hell. There's a hell that I don't want to go to. Uh, Pastor Aaron Bounds, he, uh, I'm going to reference a story from him later, but in this same time that I heard him preach, he used to say, and he, he could only do it, I couldn't even give it justice, but he was in a sermon, it sounded like at a camp or something, and they would count down. Ten, hell is really hot. Nine, this altar's only open so long. Eight. <laughs> you could probably do that five minutes into preaching and fill the altar with that. That's one way to do it. We know Pastor Tom tells the story of his dad when they had a fire pit, right? He'd get behind him and keep pushing him closer and closer. And then he'd tell him, y'all feel that? Hell's a lot hotter. And it's funny because we stop and we take those moments to, to pin that. And I'm not, I'm not condemning any of us for even making a comment or saying a line like that. But if we had a clue, you think you've touched something hot before. I picked up a pan that just came out of the oven the other day with pizza on it because I was so hungry, Dwayne. I was trying to slide all three pieces on my plate instead of ripping them off because I knew I was going to eat them all. And boy, that pan was hot. Nothing compared to hell. Nothing compared to hell. But I remember this sermon when I was a little boy. I had to be 11, 12, 13, somewhere in this range. And I'm at the campground. And, and, and when I recall, when I look back, I don't, I don't think he's a, a big name speaker. Not that that means anything. But I just remember he was anointed. And he preached the house down every night. That was back when that first night you'd get the refill of the Holy Ghost and every other night you'd jump those pews. You'd jump those pews to make your way to the altar because you didn't have time for the rest of them to <laughs> trickle on out there. You made sure you got a prime real estate spot where the preachers were palming everybody. <laughs> right? Nothing make you speak in tongues like when the main minister puts his palm right on your forehead. <laughs> And y'all know it. Y'all know it. Prime real estate, right up there by the steps. When you, gotta, when you need to speak in tongues again, you know you want to be close. Somebody's going to get a hold of you. But I remember, I remember him speaking that night, and I remember him, I remember him talking about that there's going to be people in hell that you know, that you knew, And they're going to wonder why you didn't tell them about this gospel message. If they had a chance to talk to you, he said, and he began to paint this picture of this roller coaster ride, not the fun ones, no loop-de-loops, but this slow-moving roller coaster that you sat in, and it was moving through these curves. And around each corner was this prison or this jail cell where someone was chained in there. And the intense heat and the torment of being in hell had consumed them. 
and they were standing there and they were screaming and they were each 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 jail cell or each prison cell he would say they would be looking at you saying why why didn't you ever share this gospel with me why didn't you ever invite me to church and he kept moving through moving through and he got to this one section and he said it was one of your family members oh boy one of your family members and I just remember that, I remember that point just thinking, I got a little brother at home, and he's got to be saved. I, did, I ever tell you this? Have I ever told you this story? No. I don't, I don't like to tell the ones where I'm being sensitive, you know, to him. <laughs> They're not as much fun. But boy, I leaped over some of them pews. I remember with my hands raised, speaking in tongues, tears falling down my face, interceding that God would save my little brother. Save my little brother. But I've never forgot that message. I've never forgot that message. So I ask you today, who needs to hear this message from you? Who needs to hear this message from you? We continue on in those verses, verse 29 It said, Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Remember, he wants to send the beggar back down to earth to tell his brothers. He says, but Abraham tells him, let let Moses and the prophets, they've got them. Let them listen to him. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they'll repent. They need this, some, this miraculous moment. They need something that's going to get their attention. The irony is Jesus is telling this story, and where is he on his way to? Jerusalem to be crucified. He knows that even when he is, is rose from the dead, that people will still not believe this message. He knows that. And he's telling this story saying, no, not even somebody coming from the dead is going to convince some of these people He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. He not only told them they would not listen, he was telling him it was too late to do something about it. And he knew that, that, but he was so miserable. The rich man was so miserable in this place of torment, he was begging. He was begging that couldn't something be done for who? Not just some random people. He mentioned his brothers. Why? He mentioned people that he knew he carried the weight of what he should have told them. He carried the weight in that moment. If he was on that slow roller coaster, those were the people in that prison cell separated, looking at him, asking, wondering why you never told me about this gospel, this saving message so I didn't have to come to this place of torment. Hell is real. So what's missing in this life that, that takes this significance, that takes this weight of hell, that, that helps us lighten down the weight of eternity? If we really knew what it was like, as we started to say earlier, we wouldn't even mention, we would probably never, if everybody knew, You wouldn't hear someone say, I wish you'd go there. No one would joke in that way of even saying, I want to send them there. If we had a small taste, we wouldn't laugh 
we wouldn't even say, well, that person's just on a highway to hell at the path or at the rate that they're going. Because we wouldn't wish it on anybody. We wouldn't wish it on our worst enemy. We wouldn't wish it on somebody that had treated us wrong in some way. We wouldn't wish it on anyone. But this verse and others are a glimpse. It's hidden in the rest of the stories of Jesus. The rich man, he begs Abraham, let the beggar warn. Let him warn my brothers and ask for a drop of water. You tell me, thinking back on the times you've been so thirsty in life, if one drop of water from a fingertip would quench your thirst, not a chance. That tells me that hell is so hot, hotter than you could ever imagine that. If one, you begged for not a glass, don't we always say, boy, if I have a glass of water, a bottle of water, just anything to drink right now, I'd take a drink. He said a drop. I begged for a drop of water. One of these things that God has put in front of me these past couple of weeks, not looking for it, I like YouTube, and boy, I like to watch my fishing videos on YouTube, Brother Perry. And I watch a lot of fishing videos on YouTube. So why? And, I, and if I got to fix something at the house or I got to figure something out on my car, YouTube. Right? I go to YouTube. But every once in a while, I'll be something else that comes up on the screen. I'm like, this has a fishing video. This has nothing to do with... Uh, a craft here. I was doing a project at the house. I said craft, very unmanly. <laughs> I'd rather just talk about it now and get it out of the way. You don't have to address me later. <clears throat> They're projects, manly projects, saws, nails, and screws, big guns, and I really don't. Babe, I don't do crafts. Thank you. <laughs> Unless Kennedy asked me to help. I've helped her with some. We made a doll bed. Yep. So I've, I, I see this video about this, this guy, a testimony. It looked like he had been traveling for over a decade, telling the story that he went to hell. I thought, I even saw it one day and thought, I'm, I'm on my way to fishing videos, you know. And I see it again. I'm like, well, it's kind of interesting. So I watched some of it. I didn't finish it. Then as this story unwinds, as God keeps pulling me towards this topic, as I keep leaning towards this message, I finally on Thursday night said, okay, I'll watch the rest of it. And I want to try to share some of this story and add some of these verses. So if I can have your immediate attention during this part. He prefaced his story with the fact that he had never had a vision before. He had never done drugs. He'd never drank. He never watched a dark movie. He'd never even studied hell before. He said that they had prayer that night at church, and he came home and went to bed. At about 3 a.m., he woke and got a glass of water and went to lie down in bed and began to fall through the air down a long tunnel and landed in an actual prison cell. And the next 23 minutes of his life is going to blow your mind. He landed in that prison cell. Isaiah 24 and verse 22, it says, They will be herded together like prisoners abound in a dungeon. They will be shut up in prison and be punished after many days. 
The first thing he noticed was intense heat and, and a stench that he tried, and he tried to get up, but his body had no strength. Psalms 88 verse 4 says, I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without. Everybody say without. Without strength. Then he noticed on the other side of the cell, there were two demons pacing back and forth, about 12 to 13 feet tall with horns and disformities, reptilish in appearance, and one had claws about a foot long, blaspheming and cursing God, and they directed their hate for God towards him. The one demon picked him up and threw him against the wall, and he heard bones cracking, bones crushing, and he couldn't move. The other demon picked him up with the claws, ripping his flesh, flesh hanging out, unfolded in like ribbon-like material and no blood. He couldn't believe this was happening. Leviticus 17, 11 says, for the life of a creature of creation is in the blood. You're no longer part of God's creation. You're no longer under the rule of God. You're no longer on this earth. You're in hell and there is no blood. Noticed He noticed that he had a body. He noticed that he was consumed and he could, and he, but he could still feel and he could still think. Remember, the rich man looked up. He had his wits about him. He was even able to, able to ask if he could send them to warn his brothers. But Abraham was asking, and he was asking Abraham for water. He was thirsty. He, he still had these feelings. He still had hunger. He still had thirst. He could still see. He could still hear. He could still feel all these things that were happening to him. Zechariah 9, 11, though, says, As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. There's not even a drop of water there in hell. Those demons had no mercy on him. Psalms 103, 17 says the mercy of the Lord is upon those that fear him. And the demons in hell don't fear God. And the demons uh, in hell, they don't have any mercy. And then all of a sudden it went dark and he realized that the little bit of light where he could see those demons was something that God had provided for him. But it went completely pitch black. And Lamentations 3, 6 says, He has sent me in dark places like the dead of long ago. Jude 13 on the screen says, They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom black seat darkness has been reserved. Blackest darkness has been reserved forever. You could feel the darkness, he said. It could be, you could actually feel the darkness from the plagues in Egypt, Exodus, Exodus 10, 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards the sky so that the darkness spreads over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. It penetrated every cell in his body, he said. The demons carried him then to a large raging pit of fire about a mile across, flames raising high into an open cavern. He said it was real fire. Psalms 11 verse 6 says, On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. Matthew 13, 49 and 50 said, This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into a blazing furnace. 
This is the Bible. This is in Matthew. And what will happen in the burning furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is where he could first see, he started to see people burning and he could hear them screaming. Flesh hanging off their bones and people screaming so loud that all you can think about is you want to get away from the screams, but you can't. It was for the rest of eternity. Isaiah 57, 19 and 21 says, Peace, peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. But the wicked are like the tossing sea which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace says my God for the wicked. He said he wanted to let his wife know where he was, but he understood he couldn't tell her. He could never say goodbye, and that thought alone was tormenting. Never say goodbye to any loved ones, and, and, those, and, and they, he still knew that they existed, but they had no clue that he still existed. They had no clue that he could still process and think of them there. Death does not mean to, ex- to exist. It means to be separated from God. You don't die and all of a sudden it's over. There's no more thought. Your soul still lives on and you are separated from God. He said he fell down to get there and came out when he left. He knows it's a direction that's down. There's 49 verses in the Bible that talks about the location of hell. One is from Ezekiel 26, 19 through 20. And for the sake of time, I just read the end of it, verse 21. He's talking of the end of the prophecy of Tyree here. And it says, I will bring you to a horrible end and you will be no more. You will be sought, but you will never again be found, declares the sovereign God. From Numbers 16, 32 through 33, this is the story of Korah. With Moses and Aaron and, he, and a couple of the families had gathered, gathered together and separated. And what happened? And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all those associated with Korah together with their possessions. They went down alive in the realm of the dead with everything they owned. The earth closed over them and they perished and were gone from the community. He felt the desire of wanting to talk to people because of the pleasure of conversation. The people he could see burning, but you were kept at a distance from everyone. You were isolated for all of eternity. No destiny, no purpose, a complete wasting away. Ecclesiastes 6.4 says, your name is covered in darkness in hell. Job 7 and 9 says, he that goes down to Sheol will be no more. You have the understanding that no one is coming to rescue you. There is no hope once you're in hell. Close your eyes with me for a moment for a couple lines here. He said there was a foul odor there, the worst odors you could imagine times a thousand. Jesus rebuked foul spirits. Demons have a disgusting odor plus the burning flesh and the smelling of burning sulfur. With your eyes closed, even picture a volcano of today and the reality of that burning sulfur. They have lines up and there's signs telling people you can't pass a certain point because of the toxic toxicity of the gas and the sulfur dioxide. There's not enough air to breathe. With your eyes closed, listen 
to me try to replicate what he said. He said, you couldn't get a full breath in. You were constantly gasping for air when, you, when he stood there by the pit. And it sounded like this. feeling like he was going to suffocate any moment. Open your eyes with me. Isaiah 42, 5 says that your creator gives breath to his people. You're no longer his people when you're in hell. You need to sleep, but hell never lets anybody sleep. We're wrecked when we don't have a good night's sleep. We're really hurting if we had to stay up for 36 hours. In fact, sometimes we're just wrecked. Revelation 14, 11 says, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. Psalms 127, 2 says, he gives his beloved sleep, but you are no longer his beloved once you're in hell. Demons were pushing people into the fire. Demons lined up with snakes crawling through them. He was standing on a bed of maggots. In this life, maggots feed on something, then they die. But there's no life there, so they never die. They were crawling underneath him, crawling on him. Isaiah 14, 11 says, All your pomp has been brought down to the grave along with the noise of your harps. Maggots are spread out beneath you and worms cover you. Job 24, 20 says, The womb forgets them, the worm feasts. On them, the wicked are no longer remembered, but are broke, but are broken like a tree. I know that's disgusting, but it's real. The Bible right there just explains it and says it. He said he also he hungered and he thirsted. That rich man wanted that drop of water, and all you can do is beg. There's it is a waterless pit. He never intended for man to go to this place. God didn't intend for us to be there. Matthew 25, 41, he tells us he made it for the devils and his demons. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. All that's good comes from the Lord, amen? Amen. And that means what? Anything that's not good is in hell. He began to be lifted out of through that tunnel and saw a bright light and he put his arm up the best he could until he realized and he called out, Jesus! And there was a response that said, I am. And then he passed out. Revelation 1.16 says, In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. Next thing you know, he said, he touched me. And I came to in a revelation that I did not have to go there because he suffered the death on the cross. Don't tell me the Bible doesn't tell of a place of torment. Don't tell me God did not create it. Don't tell me there is not a choice to make before your time is done here on this life. And don't tell me that my Savior did not die on a cross so I don't have to go there. It's all right here. It's all right here. So as real as this moment is, there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. So I say, would we take 
up this banner and warn them today. I hope you can't walk out of here the same way today. I hope that you walk into work or you walk into any place with the opportunity to share the gospel message and that you do. I hope it weighs heavy on you today. Let me share these past two weeks quickly with you. In our pastoral staff prayer meeting on Monday two weeks ago, Sister Burton was sharing how in Venezuela the people of the country always filled the church hungry for God. They stayed so busy teaching Bible studies and training ministers to serve the body. They barely had time to go out and canvas an area. They they barely had time to go out and ask people to come to church because people were pouring in to the house of God. Pastor Tom looked at her and in faith said, that's the way Calvary will be one day. That's the way Calvary will be one day. Amen. That following Sunday, Sister Reed asked me to lead a part of our Sunday night prayer for the community events that are happening soon here. Trunk or Treat, Thanksgiving Project. I looked up prayers on community and God gave me the thought that the Bible, when they read, when we read the verses that say brothers and sisters, that this is not just the believers that sit here shoulder to shoulder with you, but these are the people all around you day in and day out. The idea of community comes from the sense of responsibility we have for each other. Those verses we read, this, this was an apostle, this was a minister of God writing to a church to help them with things. But I tell you today, brothers and sisters are those around you, those in need, those that you rub shoulders with in your community, not just in this building. God encourages us to take care of and maintain, maintain connection with our fellow man to ensure a thriving community. We read these three verses, 1 Corinthians 1 and 10. I, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. And we pray, God, let there be no division, no walls up between us and the community outside of this property. We read 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one another in the blood of Jesus, his son purifies us from all sin. We prayed, God, we prayed for the sins of our community. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. We prayed for Calvary that we would be an aid and a refuge for the community and a place of salvation. Everybody say, that's me. That's me. So this is not just for us. Why would God only ask us to keep peace and look after those that we sit next to here day in or every Sunday? Somebody needs to change their way of thinking today. We need to step out of here with a different mindset of who our brothers and sisters are. We need to step out of a mindset of, of with a responsibility to our community according to this gospel message. Somebody needs to tell your family about Jesus. Somebody needs to talk to your neighbor next door and invite them to an upcoming event. Somebody needs to be bold when somebody's telling you that they just got diagnosed with cancer and you can ask them, can I pray with you right now? Something's got to come over us. On Monday then after um, that next week, I was walking through our parking lot. I went up to take a picture at the sign and send to Sister Pasley because I knew that would make 
her smile that the grasses are cut down. And when I went to take that picture, I was walking back through the parking lot. I grabbed a rake that was leaning against those trees, and I was walking through. Cars are kind of going everywhere. I probably looked silly like I owned the place or something. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. It was a Monday morning. I don't know if we are thinking on Monday mornings sometimes. And so I was just kind of thinking through the work weekend, looking at some of the stuff, and a car pulled up behind me and say, excuse me, sir, do you work here? Got a rake in my hand and my phone. There was definitely no way of denying it. And my friend here on the fourth row, Billy Ross, I'm so thankful that Billy, his grandson Josiah, and his wife Millie are here today. Could you give them a pause and a welcome at Calvary? Billy said, we just bought a home right over here and I was passing by to go to the house thinking that I wanted the house to be prayed for. And I pulled in here looking for a minister today that would come and pray for our house when we purchase it on Tuesday. Well, Billy caught the right person at the right time because I knew Sister Reed was out on Tuesday and our pastors were gone in New York. So, and with the last name of Ross, I knew it was destiny. (laughs) So Billy called me on Tuesday and said, Anthony, we just purchased a home. We're on our way. We worked out a few details. And then I stopped by later that afternoon on our way to our volleyball game. I stepped in that house. We all grabbed hands in a circle and we anointed their home right here in this neighborhood. So then after Thursday, Lord working me over, boy, you better know I was texting Billy again. After this message, I thought, if I don't text Billy, tell him I'm preaching and I'm preaching about him and his family and I don't invite him to church, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> Nia knows exactly what I'm saying. She's laughing back there. You better believe if, if I couldn't get a hold of him, I was driving over there. I'll tell you that. Thank you for answering, Billy. That was going to be awkward. But we got to change our way of thinking. We got to feel the heaviness of the end times here today. Matthew 28, 16 through 20, uh, a section of scriptures that I know this church knows well. It's entitled The Great Commission. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all. Everybody say all. All All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of of age. We have to share this message. We have no reason to be shy about it. We have no reason to back down when somebody mentions something and we have that thought like, I should say something. I should say something about our church. I should say that I'll, I'll pray for you. I should say I'll pray for you right now. Not I'll, I'll be praying for you. I should say, could I pray for you right now? What if that's the last chance? What if that's the last opportunity. Life is very precious, and we all know that. It's given and taken quickly. Musicians, if you want to come, I want to tell one last story 
And I want us to just keep thinking about this. Keep thinking about this message that we've been entrusted to carry. Be thinking about who it is that we need to warn today. Today. I mentioned him earlier, Pastor Aaron Bounds, pastors in Zanesville, Ohio. He tells a story of his grandfather that died before he was born. His grandmother was in the church, but his grandfather was not. In fact, he tells the story that his grandfather had a problem with drinking and would even bring that home, and his mother had told him stories about that before. But one day, his grandfather had a heart attack. He had a heart attack. They took him to the hospital. They immediately started surgery. And he said the family all gathered in the waiting room like families do. They were concerned. They were praying. They were all just there together, holding hands, comforting each other. And the doctor come walking out and stood up to his grandmother and said, I'm sorry, but we've lost Ralph. He said, my grandmother, that short apostolic lady with tall white hair, threw her hands in the air and kind of grabbed for something and looked at God and said, you promised me. You promised me. You see, a long time ago, in one of them good old-fashioned church services, there was a preacher, and he was preaching with the gifts of the Spirit. And he grabbed his granny's hand, and he, and he looked at her, and he said, God's going to do a quick work in Ralph's life. And she held on to that promise. She held on to that that, that was going to be a prophecy, that it was going to become fulfilled. So she looked to that sky and said, you promised me. And once you know, a couple minutes later, that doctor walked out, said, I don't know what's happened, but Ralph is alive. I don't know what's happened. I don't know what just happened. I don't, I don't know why, but Ralph is alive again. A few minutes later, once they had moved him rooms and everything had been taken care of properly, they had put the tube in and intubated him, and when they finally someone walked in he drew them over he couldn't speak well because of that tube and he said get me the preacher get me the preacher so they went and got the the pastor brought the pastor in he said when i can talk when i can talk i gotta tell you something when i can talk i gotta tell you something pastor Within his time there at the hospital, that pastor went back in and sat by Ralph's side. And he said, Pastor, I died on that operating table. Hear me. I died on that operating table and the spirit of death came down and took my hand and began to walk me down a long, dark road. And the further we walked, the darker it got. And the further we kept going, I started to hear the screams of people. And the further we went, the louder the screams went. And as I listened to the screams, I started to recognize that those were people in the flames of hell. And I realized I'm going to hell. I'm going to hell. He said, I looked up at that spirit of death and said, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. He said, the spirit of death turned him around and started to walk him back up that road back up to that road and he came to on that operating table came back alive 
he looked at that pastor and he said, what do I got to do? What do I got to do to be saved? I don't, pastor, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. What do I got to do to be saved? And he began to repeat the Acts 2, 38 message to him. He said, Ralph, you got to repent. You got to be baptized. And you got to receive the Holy Ghost. Ralph began to repent right then. He didn't tell him and then walk away right then, today. Ralph began to repent right then. And don't you know, they got Ralph out of that bed and baptized him in that tub in the hospital. Within his time at the hospital there, I don't know what this time frame is, but his granny came to one night as she was sleeping, listening to Ralph speaking in tongues. This Acts 2.38 message isn't just for the people in here. It's not just for the people that hear it. It said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, and this promise is unto you and to all. Everybody say all. Everybody say everyone. I hope you feel what I felt when I read through those scriptures. I hope you felt the chill down to your bone. I hope you're reminded today that hell is real. I'm not doing this because I'm just trying to come up with a creative sermon. I would have rather not preached about this, and I tried. I mean that. But I know today, I know there's a cry of a mother here today for a child. I hope today somebody appreciates your salvation a little bit more. I hope today somebody fears the Lord a little bit more. I hope today somebody's got a passion for the lost like a little bit more than you did before you walked in this sanctuary. I know someone here feels the weight of your family. I know someone here has a burden for a coworker. I know someone here might need to find repentance for themselves. I know someone here might need to be baptized today. Everybody say today. I know somebody needs to be filled with the Spirit today. This isn't a game. This is not a game. And hell is real. I don't want to chance it down to that last minute. I don't want to be on some operating table or them taking me to the hospital thinking, I better make sure everything's right. I better make sure everything's right because I don't want to walk down that long road that Anthony spoke about that one day. I don't want to take that same path that Ralph did that one day. And thank God for somebody praying for him. Amen. Amen. Thank God that somebody prayed, that somebody prophesied into that moment years ago and that his wife held on to it and kept praying it. Keep praying that prayer. Keep holding on to that promise. Keep lifting that person up. Keep calling them. Keep sending that text. Keep telling them about this event, about that event. Send them a verse for encouragement. Ask them if you can come over and pray with them today. Today. No man knows the hour. We don't know the time. We don't know when that trumpet will sound, but when it does, it's over. 
in the twinkling of an eye, it's over. And Brother Danny just said it, Jesus is coming. He said it. That's something else it says right here. He's coming back. This isn't, we're not just playing around for a long period of time and then going on to something else. It's not a question if there's something else prepared for us. I I listened to something about that too. He was saying, if you don't know him, if you don't know him, what makes you think that things are going to work out when you get there? Someone walks up to your house and knocks on your door and you have no clue who they are. You're going to let them in your house? Nope. You're not. Somebody walks up and you have relationship with, that you talk with daily, that has a respect, an honor for you and lifts you in high regard and knows that you have their family and best interests for you, you're going to open that door with open arms. It doesn't make sense. He said he's going to prepare a place. It doesn't make sense that we think we could just skate through life and then jump into heaven later. Stand with me today. In fact, even if you want to make your way to the altar, if you want to make your way to the altar, we're going to close a little bit different today. I want a time, though, to respond, time to pray. But there's, Trisha, you grab those cards there, those TCC cards. No other right there. Go ahead and grab them. Take one and pass them. Just pass them back. Pass them around. Send them in, in two different directions, Noah. Send them in a couple different directions. These are cards that we made to hand out to people that we want to know about our church. These are cards that we made to hand to people to invite them here to this sanctuary to hear this gospel message. Don't tell me that God doesn't have somebody on your heart that you can't hand that card to. Let me tell you a story, then I'll let them sing. I still get choked up thinking about the funeral that I attended. And I get choked up for one reason. (laughs) Because when I was at church camp, they used to give us those Bible studies in a bag. Anybody ever have one of those growing up? And they encouraged us to write names on it. I remember writing three names. I don't remember who the third one was. The first two had the same name. But Beach one was Brandon Heatherly. When we were in high school, he started getting in drugs pretty heavy to the point that it would have been pretty hard for him to turn around. My family, we would run into him from time to time. And he had gotten to the point where he was pretty heavy into heroin. He was dealing it. He was always the life of a party. He was always somebody surrounded by all of it. And everybody knew you could get to it through Brandon. I 
I wrote his name on that Bible study in a bag when we were probably 12 or 13. Brandon had come to church a couple of times with me, but I never taught him that Bible study. (laughs) About five and a half years ago, I sat in a funeral home. I sat in a funeral home and I sobbed. I walked through that line and his dad said, Anthony, he loved you. He loved you, Anthony. I wish he would have hung out with you more in those later years. He died of a heroin overdose. He had died about three times before that, and they had revived him. But this time he didn't come back. So I sat in that funeral home in Ross. I sat in a gray suit, white, purple stripes. I remember just crossing my arms. Leah was sitting next to me, and I just began to sob, thinking, because I could picture his name on that Bible study. I could picture his name on that Bible study that I never taught him. If I was on that roller coaster going through and I came around to that prison cell where Brandon was at, what would he say to me today? What would Brandon say to me today? Did I try hard enough? Did I invite him at the right times? I don't know, but I'll never get another chance to do it. I never taught him that Bible study. As I said earlier, as we go into a time of prayer, I hope today someone appreciates your salvation a little bit more. I pray somebody fears the Lord a little bit more today. I pray that someone has a passion for the lost today. I don't know what it is you've let in your life that it's a roadblock. I don't know what it is that you keep coming back to. You know, there's no point me even mentioning what I think it could be or that long list of stuff that trips us up in our flesh all the time. But the next time you look at it, the next time you think about it, could you not think about hell also? What if you don't come back this time? What if you don't come back from it? What if on the way back from it, God takes your life and it's all over? This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, Thanks for listening.